Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. And church family, this is it. This is, we're finishing out James today. And uh, I pray this has been as impactful for you all as it has been for me um, to walk through this. And I pray this, as, as I do with each, each one of these series we go through, this isn't the last time that you uh, set yourself in the book of James. Um, and we're just going to focus on two verses today, uh, 19 and 20. It's the last part of this. And as we do so... Uh, to actually pause and think about what does it look like for us to be the church. And we've talked about this at various times throughout this series. And a focus on being a people possessed by God. We spent a week in First Peter talking about that. Uh, a people united, when we take communion together, united in Christ. And uh, united by what Jesus has done, knowing that we don't deserve anything that God would give us. Uh, but knowing that God in Christ has given us everything that we need. And so when it comes to functionally how you and I operate as followers of Jesus, uh, there's been a lot through here as it pertains to how we operate amongst one another. And there's a reason for that. Because if we cannot successfully live out these things amongst each other, then we will absolutely miserably fail to do anything in the world that brings people back to Christ. It tends to be one of the greatest challenges to our witness for Jesus is that we can't even seem to get along with people who say they're followers of Jesus too, right? And so in the scope of this, uh, I was drawn to uh, a statement that's actually made in Genesis chapter 4 where... Uh, it's the story of Cain and Abel. How many of you have heard the story of Cain and Abel before? Just put your hand up, okay? So if you haven't heard this story before, the reality of this is it's two brothers. It's the sons of Adam and Eve. And uh, Abel brings his offering to the Lord. It's accepted by the Lord. Cain's is not. And Cain gets really angry and murders his brother. And... The statement that stuck out to me as I was in James this week is when God comes to Cain and asks him where his brother is, what is Cain's response? Am I my brother's keeper? And we, we almost read that in Genesis 4 in a sarcastic tone, right? That we go, God, am I my brother's keeper? How am I supposed to know where he's at? But as I sat and I thought about that, I went, you know, there's times where in our mindset, in our attitudes, that is exactly the attitude we take with one another. Isn't it? 
where's, where's my brother or sister in Christ? Where are they at right now? And we go, I don't know. It's not really my responsibility. My challenge to us today is to realize that biblically as the church, we are in fact our brother's keeper. We are in fact as the body of Christ meant to help watch over one another. And that's not meant to be something that is a uh, judgmental, demeaning thing, but it is absolutely to be something that is an important reality of what it means to commit to one another. To pause and say, there's something more that should be found here than what I could find in the world. That is, if I'm straying, if I'm off in left field, that I know there's people who will seek to bring me back to what is true and what is right. And that's exactly what these last two verses in the book of James speak to. So I'm going to read those and then we're going to pray together. And I've just got a couple of things I want us to keep in mind as we finish out this series. Verse 19 of James chapter 5, it says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Father, as we unpack these two verses today, uh, may you help us to see clearly what it means for us to be the church you've called us to be. Possessed by you, untethered from the world in a way that we walk alongside one another with our eyes fixed on Jesus and no other. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, this, this simple beginning to this poses several questions for us. Uh, the first question that any of us should ask is the simple question of what is truth? Turn to your neighbor and ask, what is truth? And depending on who you ask, you're, especially in today's culture, you're going to get a variety of opinions about this. In fact, there's many people today who would say, well, truth is whatever you make truth to be. Um, you could believe in whatever you believe to be true, and that's true for you. The problem with that is if that becomes the reality, then there means that truth doesn't exist at all. And it poses many worldview issues, especially if we seek to follow Jesus and say, well, you can believe this over here is true, and I can believe this is over, over here is true, and we're both right. No, you're, you're not. You can't. Philosophically, you can't both be right in that sense when we think about what is eternally true. And so to answer the question of that, I'm just going to mention to you several uh, scripture passages. The first one is uh, Psalm 119, verse 160. You can just write that down if you're taking notes. Psalm 119, verse 160. And in this, the psalmist simply says, the sum of your word is truth. A great passage of scripture to memorize and a very easy one. Psalm 119 verse 160. The sum of your word. And he's not talking he's not standing over here talking to some guy over here and saying the sum of what you say is true. He's talking about God. The sum of your word is true. This brings us to even the reality in uh, Timothy Paul's letters to Timothy. Where he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. 
profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. These core truths. This is why if, if, if you are newer with us or you're listening to this for the first time, we believe that God's word is the final authority by which we're to live and function as the church. It's not, uh, we, we would completely de- deny the truth that it's my, it's, it's Pastor Matt's uh, way that we need to go. Absolutely not. A hundred percent no. If you think that, please come talk to me so I can straighten you out and say, don't trust in me. Okay, I am not Christ. I am not Jesus. I am not God. Uh, I am a fallible person just like you who is in desperate need of, of Christ in my life. And who's just simply striving to walk in obedience to what God's called me to. And so the sum of God's word is truth. What, what of God's word is truth? All of God's word is truth. No matter how easy or hard it may be. Second Samuel 7 verse 28. 2 Samuel 7 verse 28. First part of that verse it says, you, you are God and your words are true. <laughs> you are God and your words are true. Someone may ask, well, how do you know that God's words are true? And one of the great testimonies to that is the fact that Scripture identifies God as one who doesn't deceive people. He doesn't lie. In fact, it says he can't lie. And so you might go, well, how do you know he hasn't lied? And we would point to all of the promises that God has made throughout the entirety of Scripture. And every single promise that the Lord has made has come to be. That's a lot. You are God and your words are true. There's another place in uh, Scripture that uh, to some may bring more weight than others because it's the very words of Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 17. So John 17, 17, where Jesus is actually praying for his disciples. And in verse 16 says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then this is his prayer sanctify them or set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. I hope you are grasping when we seek to answer the question, what is truth, that we come back to the place to say, the word of God is truth. This is the starting place when we come to a passage like this that says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, we first have to go, well, what is the truth? Because if I believe the whole my truth, your truth thing, then that means if anyone wanders away from what I think is true. No, 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 no. If anyone wanders from the truth. And this even comes to a simpler reality, which is at the core what is the message of the Bible? You see, the Bible is huh, comprised of all of these books written by 40 different people, but all tell one story. A story of God's redemptive plan to save his people. So at the core, what is the truth? The truth is that there is freedom from your sin and bondage in the name of Jesus. It's that simple. 
there is freedom for you in Christ. But it means that you trust Christ. It's not a box I can check and then live my way. It's me choosing, will I follow Him or will I remain where I'm at? And there's, as we've talked about in the past, there's no fence. There's no in-between. I either follow Jesus or I follow myself. That's it. God's Word is truth. The truth that there is salvation. But there's also another truth here that we often doesn't get talked about. Us remaining in our sin apart from Christ results in eternal separation from God in hell. That's God's word. Okay? That's not Matt's truth. That's God's truth. The truth of these realities. This is why we have to strive to simply hold fast to what God has given us. And it's enough. Uh, if you question that at all, let me know and I will put you in touch with multiple brothers and sisters in Christ in our church family who have sought to follow after Him for decades and they still haven't mastered it. And they would gladly tell you, this is enough. I have not come to grips with this to the point that I say, God, I've got all this figured out. Even the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 6 found that to be a reality when he said, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Well, you keep the commandments and do, do these things. And he goes, I've done all that. What else you got for me? And then Jesus targets the very thing that kept him from following after Jesus. He says, go sell everything you have and give the proceeds to the poor. And it says the man went away sorrowful. Why is that? Well... He had not yet fully decided to follow Jesus. Oftentimes we struggle with the same. Another question this brings about, or more of a notation in that first verse, if anyone among you, that's important, sometimes people read this and it's easier for them to think about this in terms of unbelievers. No, 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 no. This is talking about the church's responsibility for one another. He's speaking to brethren in the very beginning, my brothers, okay, these are, these are followers of Jesus. And then he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. And the word wanders there is also important. Because it doesn't say they left the truth. But rather they have become distracted and wandered away. That word can also mean deceived. If someone has been deceived away from the truth. The reality of this being that you and I may have seasons of life where we are tempted to wander from what we know to be true. And then the exhortation for the one that wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. This is an action. Okay? This is an action. The the one who brings them back, let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, This idea of wandering, if if you take notes, just jot down 1 John 2, verse 19. Because it may be a foreign concept that... uh, 
The difference between someone wandering and someone revealing that they were not among us to begin with. There's a difference. Uh, Wandering implies that I'm not really going in any direction in general, but I've wandered from what is true. And yet in 1 John chapter 2 verse 19, there's this hard reality that says they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they all are not of us. What is that talking about? Well, it's simply put, the person who blatantly chooses their sin reveals that they weren't following Jesus to begin with. And there's a difference between one who's wandering and needs pulled back and one who has just says, I'm done with the truth. I'm going to do what I want. And we're going to see in a minute that that's a part of even other places in Scripture that speak about how do we do this? How do we call one another into what is accountability? But there's another question that comes about in this. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We read that and it can be confusing because we go, wait, 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 wait. I thought only Jesus could save sinners. And in that case, we would say, yes, absolutely, only Jesus saves. But we have to ask a question here. What is it that the church is saving this person from? The word soul there in in the original languages can also mean a life or your, your whole being, not just... A soul, as we might say, we would, we would kind of distinguish and say, well, you have your body and then you have your soul, which is eternal. That's not what this word is specifically saying. Instead, it's your whole being, well, the, the whole person from death. And death there, we have to ask the question, well, is this a spiritual death or a physical death? And that should bring up another question. There's lots of questions, isn't there? Are you saying that there is... That someone could sin to the point that it causes them physical death? Yes. Yes. We don't think about this. We don't think about sin having a negative impact on our physical bodies. We generally separate that and say, sin only impacts my spiritual relationship. No. And in fact, I could, I could tell you stories of people who are living in sin, and when they confessed sin and repented, their physical bodies healed. I've I've witnessed that in the last 10 years. We think of 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul warns the church not to take communion wrongly because some of you are getting sick and even dying because you're doing this wrongly. Another place is in 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 16 and 17, where there's this warning um, that says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. So pray for them. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Okay, there's a distinguishing marker here that should bring about this weight of, whoa, I need to take sin seriously. Sin being just missing the mark of God's holiness. This is serious. Now, if we go flip back just briefly to Galatians chapter 1. 
So go back just a, a, a few books. Galatians, actually Galatians 6. It's Galatians 6 1. Um, this is another place where the call of Scripture is for us to hold one another accountable, to call one another into a place of repentance and restoration. Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. Once again, talking to the church, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then there's a warning. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the core question here, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. I am responsible for helping to keep watch over my brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraging them back to what is true. Is that easy to do? Absolutely not. I cannot tell you the number of times I would have rather just let someone be than to go confront them on a sin issue. It's so much easier. So much easier to just ignore it. Turn the other way and go, "Ah, you know, I'm a sinner too, so I'm just going to kind of act like I didn't see that. No, 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 no. We have a God-given responsibility, church family, that if we're going to walk in obedience, then we have a responsibility. And we don't know the level of destruction that someone may be wandering towards. The picture that I often paint for people is when we have a brother or sister who's wandering into sinfulness and away from truth, they are, they are walking towards a cliff of their own making. And some of them don't even know it. If we saw one of our dearest family members walking towards a cliff, what are we going to do? Man, I'm going to kick it into high gear, right? And I'm going to chase after them. If I, if I was any good with a lasso, you know, that's, that was even the, the, the role of the shepherd's hook, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw them out of the pit that they've fallen into. I'm going to seek to pull them back into the herd where we focus in on truth. But too often, church family, we just don't do this. We just don't. And then when... when we do step into this. People are confused. Why, why don't we just let people be? Because God's word demands that we do something. It demands that I see a brother or sister wandering and I chase them with all I have and seek to draw them back to what is true. This brings me just in the scope of this to see that the one who brings back a person from their wandering may save them from physical, personal destruction. And in the process of that, you could make the argument that they may even, in the midst of that, help that person see that they weren't following Jesus to begin with. And in that case, may well save their spiritual soul from death in a sense of, brother, sister, hear the gospel. Hear the good news that there is freedom. How are they supposed to hear if no one tells them? How? 
and the chasing after, drawing them back, covers a multitude of sins. This is throughout Scripture where you have this emphasis that the one who chases after another in love and seeks to draw them back, the forgiveness and the healing that comes is so much more powerful than the weight of sin. It's so much more powerful. So what should we do? What should we do in effort to bring someone back from their wandering? Because we can hear, see the instruction, we can see it clearly. Well, how do I do this? What does it look like? And I'm just going to give you five specific ways that biblically we're to do this. The first one is really foundational. Love one another. Now, this is one of those statements that has been so over-projected that people often hear this and they roll their eyes. Love one another. But there's something very specific about this. When we look at John 13, 35, Jesus washes the disciples' feet and he says to them, Just as I've done to you, so you do to one another. That is, the love we're to have for one another should emulate from the love Christ has for us. That's the same in Matthew 22 where we have the great commandment where Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these rest all the law and the prophets. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, above all, above all. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. There's that statement again. It has to start here. My yearning to draw someone back from their wandering has to start from a place of love, not condemnation. In the same way that Jesus, while we were still sinners, died for us. My drawing someone back should be rooted in the same viewpoint that said... When God in Christ saw me as a sinner, he gave his life for me. So I'm going to do everything I can to draw this brother back because I want to love them the same way that Christ has loved me when they least deserve it. Hard, hard truth. The second thing, though, what should we do? Speak truth to one another. My goodness. Don't tiptoe around things. And here's the reality. Family. The world wants you to tiptoe around, okay? Stop it. It doesn't mean we're mean about it. In fact, that's where Ephesians 4 comes in. Speak the truth in love. Well, back to that motivation in love. The end of Ephesians 4, it says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building others up as fits the occasion. All right? My speech... Even when I'm speaking hard truth to someone needs to come from a motivation that I love them, I care about them, and I don't want to see them go off the cliff. Whereas oftentimes when we speak truth, we do so in a way that kind of sounds like we want to push them off the cliff. We need to consider how we're speaking to one another, but we need to speak truth. Speak truth to one another. Don't hold back in that. God has called us to that. Read Ephesians 4 and you'll see clearly. 
What should we do? We talked about this just last week. Pray for one another. Just previously in James chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Sometimes we're really good about praying for the people we like and yet forget the fact that Jesus calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who what? Persecute us! That means a person who's slandered you, who's stomped on you, who's slashed you, who's stabbed you in the back. How hard, I, It's easy to pray for people I love. Man, that's easy. It's easy for me to pray. You, you know, it's easy for me to pray for people when, when we get along. But when, man, when they do something that drives me nuts or makes me angry, it's, I, I struggle to pray for them. I kind of want to pray that God would deal with them, right? And, and sometimes that's appropriate. Lord, help them do whatever it takes to help them see their sinfulness. But do I, do I just shove it aside and say, I'm, I'm done? You know what? They're, they're going to act this way. I'm going to write them off completely. That is not a biblical concept. Boundaries are biblical. But even when I set boundaries, they should stay on my prayer list. That there might be a day that I don't even need the boundaries anymore. That there's restoration and healing and hope. This one. Listen to one another. Man, we've got to do better on this church family. And I can tell you sometimes we just listen because we want to respond. I'm telling you, you need to listen to hear. And that's what James 1.19 talks about. Be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. So how do, we, how do we seek to draw someone back from a place of wandering? Listen to them. And then speak truth to them. And walk with them. All the while with a desire to love them. There's one more in this that I don't have up here. Um, But it's hold one another accountable. How do we bring someone back from their wandering? We hold one another accountable. This is where Matthew 18 intersects with our responsibility. You see, He hasn't left us out to dry when it comes to how we're supposed to navigate this. Rather, he's given us instruction that when someone sins against us, we go to them. And if they if they repent of that and they confess their sin, (laughs) you've gained your brother. That's what Matthew 18 says. If they don't, you're supposed to take two or three more with you with a desire to draw them back. And if they still don't, you're supposed to take it to the rest of the church. And if they still don't, then you very sorrowfully go to 1 John chapter 5 and you recognize, or 1 John chapter 2, and you recognize that because they went out from us and had no yearning to come back, it's revealed that they were not of us. That's heart-wrenching. But here's one thing I want you to realize. Church accountability and church discipline is intended to be a rescue operation. Not a condemnation train. It's a big difference. 
And the person who's being called into accountability may not feel that way. But that does not mean that that's not what the purpose is. When we see a brother or sister wandering away, may we take heart, look at ourselves, and also seek to run towards them in order to draw them back to what is true. What God has declared is true. I'll finish with this passage in Hebrews chapter 2. And the accountability in this for us as a church and us personally is profound. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. Here's the temptation, family. We're going to leave today. We're going to go to lunch. We're going to, we've got our plans already marked out. Some of you are already right now trying to figure out where you're going to get lunch at. It's okay. But our temptation is going to be to wander away from this. To hear the truth and not do it, which is what James warned us about earlier, right? Be, don't just be hearers of the word, do what it says. And so here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you to think through the scenarios in your life. Who do you need to pray for today that you haven't prayed for out of anger? Who do you need to seek to call, call back that you've seen taking some steps and wandering? And how are you going to do that in love? And the third thing is, if you have wrestlings about this and what that looks like, come talk to me. Send me an email. Let's wrestle these things together. I had a brother do that this last week, and I was so grateful for it. Because there's just a misunderstanding of some of that. And what, it, what does that look like? And we had such a good conversation around that. But that only happens if you open the door and are willing to ask good questions. But may we be a people who take seriously the impact of sin. And strive to live authentically the way God in Christ has called us to. Amen? Amen? Let's stand together. And I'm going to pray for us. And then we're just going to close with the chorus of the first song that we sang today. How great is our God. Let's pray. Father, may you help fix our eyes on you. May we be a people who recognizes our responsibility to one another authentically unified in Christ, devoted to what you've called us to be devoted to, trusting in your purposes and your plan. Use us for your glory, Father.